Hello and welcome in to another edition of Pacific Post-Ups. My co-host and partner in crime has returned, Nick Boylan. How are you? Good, thanks, Lou. Back at it. The, the week off. Uh, you guys did a fantastic job uh, in my absence. And yeah, back to talk all things Pacific basketball, which has got pretty interesting after the All-Star break. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly uh, gone a couple of different directions for some of the teams in this division uh and it's probably with great pleasure from your end that i think we should start with a some golden state warriors chat um they had a obviously a big win today over houston houston i was thinking only thinking today how exciting those houston warriors games used to be compared to what they're like now um but it's been a bit of a mixed bag for them since the all-star break what are you making of things over there in the bay yeah, as much as uh, we always enjoy beating Houston, doesn't really matter who's on, who's on the floor. Um, it's not exactly the greatest measuring stick at the moment in the NBA, uh, beating a team that has now lost 18 games in a row. But yeah, I mean, the, the Dubs are, have been the pillars of inconsistency really through the season. It's been, um, you know, they're, they're sort of staying. Oh, I won't be surprised to see like, you know, the same amount of wins uh, and same amount of losses at the end of the season. That's the kind of... Uh, year it's been uh, in Golden State. Um, a really important and revealing run against a very, yeah, a, a, a lot of tough op- opposition. They went one 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 and five against two games against the Lakers, um, the Blazers, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Jazz. And while things were close against Portland, a lot of the other games were not. So a 26-point loss um, in that initial one to the Lakers Losing by 22 to Phoenix, granted that this was just before the All-Star break and there was no Steph or Draymond as they were having a rest. But then after the All-Star break, 26-point loss to the Clippers and then a a whopping 31-point loss to the Lakers. After a really promising um, showing against the the Jazz, which is probably the the best Golden State win for the year potentially. So it's been a really frustrating thing to watch as much as there's been... You know, some, uh, definitely some positives. Some of the negatives have sort of flared up. Steph's shooting numbers have dropped back down to earth a little bit um, with a couple of not-so-great shooting nights in that uh, sort of gauntlet of uh, games against the top contenders. And I think it's really shown that as good as Golden State have played at times, the, the losses have come against the top tier of the NBA and it shows that Golden State are not in that bracket at least at the moment. Yeah, I mean, just from the uh, just from the outside looking in, I guess you've got a, a slightly stronger perspective of it being more of a day to day fan. But um, just a couple of points, I guess I've uh, I've noticed, and I'm interested to hear your opinion on it. Um, one, uh, how great was it to have Stephen Curry back in the All Star game, drilling threes both in the contest uh, and uh, and in the actual game itself? It's uh, he's certainly a wonder to watch, and I'm I'm certainly going to miss him at whatever point it is that he uh, decides to finally uh, hang up the sneakers. Um, but outside of the uh, outside of the All-Star game, we've seen Jordan Poole and Nico Mannion get called up from the G League. Uh, well, mm. They've played in that G League bubble. Uh, both of them have shown some glimpses, uh, glimpses in their time back with the main club. Poole's actually top scored uh, twice, including a couple of really impressive dunks. He's certainly shooting the ball. Uh, a lot better in his first stint back this year compared to what he did in his rookie season. Uh, although, to be fair, he probably couldn't shoot the ball much worse than how he shot it in his rookie season. But um, and uh, and Nico Mannion, someone that was considered potentially a top ten draft pick coming into his year at Arizona, slipped in the draft. I thought he was a bit of a steal with the Warriors picked him up. 
he's looked pretty reasonable as well. What have you made of the two young fellas coming into the rotation? I think Jordan Clarkson's looking over his shoulder um, at Jordan Poole, a bit a bit worried about the six-man-of-the-year race. Um, <laughs> he's been that good. Um, uh, all, all, all hyperbole side, I've been very excited as to what I've seen from Jordan Poole's return. Um, after I watched a little bit of G League action because um, I you know, sort of realized that he was going quite well and plus Jeremy Lin's playing for Santa Cruz and I always like to check in and see how he's going. He really should be on an NBA roster, but that's another discussion. But um, uh-huh. uh, no, Paul's confidence has ne- that's certainly while his shot may have wavered in any season, his confidence in it has never um, has never really shrunk away. Like that guy, you know, quite often it gives you you know a little bit of Jamal Murray, J.R. Smith vibes, where they're just you know they back themselves in almost to the point of like no return. It's just like, all right, probably need to settle down and, you know, ease off your trigger. But, you know, I think the uh, the things I saw in his, you know, his G league appearances for Santa Cruz has certainly translated really well across to um, a return to the, you know, the, the golden state roster. It's that he seems to be a lot more focused. He's making some really, not only good decisions on the ball in terms of his playmaking, but quick decisions. He seems to be a lot sharper and a lot more focused. He's definitely taking some heat check threes and there's no issue pulling up from, you know, uh, Steph Curry range. But the efficiency has been like really, really impressive. Um, You know, he's averaged 18 points on shooting splits of 55.3 from the floor, 42.3% from deep and 81.8% from the line. And yet just had 23 points to, uh, today against the Rockets and with a career high six threes. And he's just he's just looked like a more mature player. And I know it like one year isn't a hell of a lot, probably in terms of you know in terms of basketball experience. But he looks like a much more assured player. Understands what his role is a little bit more. He's still got that confidence, but it's even translating on the defensive end, which is something that I didn't really think I'd see from him. But he does have the have the athletic gifts to be a pretty solid defender. And even again, while I understand it is against Houston, um, some of the stuff he did on the defensive end was really nice today, uh, just making some good decisions. And um, I think that's a real bonus for the Warriors, is you know whether it's this season for a deep postseason run or not, more so for next season when Clay comes back and the roster is probably going to look a little bit different. Having someone of Poole's scoring punch off the bench is incredibly important um, for this team in, in getting a little bit of a spark plug. And if he's able to, you know, sort of keep the scoring going, you know, he's not going to have 20 point nights every night, but at least knowing you've got someone on the bench who can give you 20 on any given night, I think that's a pretty important thing to have. And then um, on, on Nico Mannion, I agree that he's definitely a player who I was surprised was still there um, for Golden State in the draft. Um, I'm not like the the biggest follower of the college game, but what I had seen of Mannion was a, a really high IQ when it came to um, the particularly the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, he's not the greatest athlete in the world. He's not you know a massive guy at the point guard position, but since he's come sort of uh, back um, from a G League stint, he's yeah he just looks really assured on the ball, makes pretty good decisions most of the time can get uh, sucked into some fouls. And he's definitely someone who, you know, opposition teams are going to attack on um, that end of the floor, but yeah, just he knows how to make the right play smart in the pick and roll. Um, you know, him and Wiseman had done some nice things together and yeah, it just gives them a different look that isn't Brad Wanamaker um, off the bench. 
Yeah, um, I saw a fair bit of Brad Wanamaker over the last few years, being someone that follows the Celtics, and he's not been the same player this year in uh, in Golden State as what he was last year. So I, I do think uh, Mannion's development and Paul's development, who can also kind of play that pseudo point guard, shooter, shooting guard, sixth man kind of role off the bench, uh, is important for the Warriors. Probably more for next year's sake. Um, you know, we're, we're I think we're starting to get a pretty clear idea that this is probably not a team that's. Uh, contending unless something changes this year. But um, it's been well documented that over the course of the Warriors' championship runs, um, that they, their kind of depth was slowly whittled away, whether it was because guys like Livingston were kind of aging out. Um, you know, Iguodala has obviously been and gone now as well. Uh, and so rebuilding that depth for another run next year, I think is important, um, as well as having some youth. I always think having some good young guys breathes some life into guys like Steph and Draymond, um, and I've been really impressed with the way both of those two have looked coming back from um, the G League. And, and perhaps you're right, perhaps being around guys like Jeremy Lin that have been there and done that um, in Santa Cruz is uh, is good for those guys just kind of have a steady head um, to learn from. But Jordan Poole looks like, uh, I was about to say a completely different player, but he showed these flashes last year. I guess it's more those shots are full. Um, and you're certainly right. He's not sort of confidence. He, uh that Jordan Clarkson comparison you made is, is certainly a little bit there because he is an ultimate green light guy. But I think the Warriors probably need that in, a, in an offense that can look a little bit stagnant when it's just the bench unit sometimes. No, 100%, Lou. I think that the bench unit really hasn't looked to the initial of the Warriors you know, the sort of earlier part of, of the 2010s. And, you know, you had guys like Leandro Barbosa, sort of spark plug in the backcourt um, off the bench. Like, um, you know, he, he wasn't the player he was, you know, at like Phoenix and whatnot, but still someone who's got a bit of an explosiveness, make, makes things happen off the bench. And, yeah, guys like Pullin Mannion are sort of giving that little bit of spark plug and be a little bit of a difference maker, at, at least some... Yeah, I guess some unpredictability to a degree, I think, that is, is really, um, really important to have. And Paul's certainly providing that. And then also having that steady hand of Mannion, that's something that's going to develop. He's, you know, he's going to get a little bit bigger, hopefully. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's been really good. And then also, we, we, we've seen, like, I think in games, particularly that, that um, the win against Utah, although, you know, Steph did his work and had a really good night, it was the second unit that, did a lot um, in that game. You know, you had, like we said, how Paul had a really good game, had 18 points off the bench in that one. You know, Mannion had, you know, five points and a couple of assists. Pascal had nine points. And then, you know, you're adding um, James Wiseman, who's come back, um, you know, with 16 points. So having those guys off the bench, a lot of the the time this season for Golden State, and it's probably been the question, um, as soon as Clay hurt his Achilles, that, uh, and, and, you know, he's and he's done done his injuries and whatnot. It, the question was going to be, who else was going to pick up the scoring load? So, having guys off the bench, um, also in the starting lineup, you know, different stages. Whether it's been you know Wiggins who had twenty eight points against the Jazz, it, having those supplementary guys who are able to you know keep the scoring output going while Steph takes a much needed rest um, has been really important. And that you know when, when um, other other guys have got in on the scoring act and you know had double digit scoring nights. Golden State have been pretty hard to stop. Yeah, um, that, that that certainly raises uh, an interesting 
uh, candidate for someone that's had a bit of an up and down week. You mentioned James Wiseman. He did look really good in a couple of games this week. And I think he's starting to uh, show a little bit of extra juice and understanding of the, uh, the NBA game. Unfortunately, he's not had the greatest of luck with, uh, let's just call it COVID protocols um, mm. over the last period of time since the All-Star break. Neither uh, has um, Eric Pascal. How, what have you made of what's been uh, going on with that situation? And um, how do you feel about Kerr's decision to, you know, give James Wiseman a bit of a slap on the wrist um, for not uh, keeping things up to date testing-wise over the All-Star break? Yeah, I think I understand that was a bit of an eyebrow raiser, um, particularly, yeah, when Wiseman sat against the, the Clippers. And I, I didn't hate it. Um, you know, it's still... you, you got to remember that this, this is a kid who not only is still young as a 19-year-old young man, but also someone who hasn't been, you know, barely played any college and is still adapting to a, you know, a professional work environment. You know, these guys are athletes, but it is a professional work environment that has consequences for, you know, actions that, um, you know, are, are against what needs to be done, whether that's, you know, a disciplinary thing, you know, someone's acted up or if it's, you know, having something a lot more serious in regards to the COVID uh, safety protocols. So I certainly didn't hate um, the move from Kerr to do that. Um, But yeah, it it, it certainly was interesting to see that it's not exactly like a red flag razor for me at all um, that that I've seen, you know, sometimes younger players do certain things that are, you know, like you start to get a little bit worried about, um, you know, whether that's in terms of their draft year and it raises, uh, you know, sort of questions around their character in terms of like pre-draft interviews. But from all accounts, Wiseman's been a really impressive young man. So I'm not exactly, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not buying into this, like sort of being a, you know, like a, a point for further further issue down the track. I think it's just a 19-year-old guy probably just being a little bit complacent. Um, probably a little bit more surprised about Pascal doing it, considering he is an older guy. Um, even though young in terms of his NBA life, he is a older um, player, obviously staying a little bit longer in college. So that was like probably a little bit more concerning. But at the same time, I think it's... Yeah, it's not a bad thing, a learning experience, um, particularly for wise men to just, you know, all right, you've done the wrong thing. This is what happens when you've done the wrong thing. So, yeah, that that was it. And that's all it needed to be. Yep. No, I completely agree. I think he was just a typical 19-year-old bloke. Um, you know, it's pretty clear that based on what happened leading into the season, um, that he seemed to actually already have COVID. Um, so perhaps he got a bit lackadaisical um, in his processes over the break, assuming he's unlikely to get it again. And I wouldn't read anything uh, more into it. I, I have been impressed with the showing we have seen from him coming out after the, after the all-star break. And I'm looking forward to his uh, continued development. Just uh, one last thing uh, on the Warriors while we're on uh, touching on them. Obviously we're starting to just see the, the uh, early signs here at the trade deadline of what's going on. Is there, is there a move you really see here for the Warriors? Maybe not so much a, specific trade but would you like to see them you know move any of these younger guys or move off any veterans or are you pretty much happy with them um just playing the course at the moment and seeing this season out as is um i think probably the only one that is i think deserves to come up is probably the Ubre contract whether they're able to do anything with that get in someone else i'm, I'm not exactly sure 
who they'd be looking at. I mean, I know that Oladipo is a name that has been brought up, which I don't really like, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's probably the one who I think if anyone's going to get traded, it's going to be <laughs> Kelly. It's not like, you know, it wasn't long ago that we thought Wiggins would be, you know, a, 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 a consistent sort of trade deadline uh, type of guy for the Warriors. But, you know, I've, I like his fit a lot better. Um, it's not saying that Ubre hasn't grown into his role um, after working out some early season kinks um, in sort of fitting into a new system and very much a new role playing with, you know, the highest caliber players that he's ever played with. So I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Bob Myers and the front office do um, with that Ubre contract. Um, but in terms of, I don't know, if they're able to, do anything to try to get someone like Alonzo Ball. I think I'd be pretty excited about that. But in saying that, yeah, I, th- I think I'm after you plug Clay back into things next year, potentially getting another veteran to start um, sort of, I guess, boosting that bench. Um, I mean, I guess probably how I, I would have expected Wanamaker was going to do this season. Um, not like, you know, obviously he's not a super veteran in terms of years of NBA experience, but you know, He's, he's a guy who's, you know, closer to 30 than he is to 20. So it'd be interesting to see if they... Well, they could move him if they wanted to. I'm not sure anyone would want to take him given his form in Golden State. But, um, yeah, Ubre is the contract I could see um, and the player the most likely to be moved. I'm not sure what that move would be, but that'd be the one. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think that's the salary that makes sense. And like you said, obviously, unless it was for an absolute top-tier guy, I'm not sure you would move Wiggins anymore. Um, when he was pretty much just labelled as a as almost empty salary, not empty salary, but um, you know a tradable salary when he first got moved over to the Warriors, I think now he's become uh, quite an essential part of this team, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see how he fits alongside Clay next year um, as kind of you know that wing duo, uh, mm. duo I guess. Um, and look, I mean, if you'd uh, if you'd like to send Brad Wanamaker back to the back to the Celtics, I'm sure Jeff Teague's available, but you're right. There's probably not a hell of a lot else that uh, that's going on out there as far as real value um, sideways moving. If you're going to move a veteran to a contending team, they're probably not going to send you something you want back. Um, so I think it's uh, it, might, it might realistically be holding the fort there. Although if they do move Uber, it'll be interesting to see whether they uh, move him, try to move him for a younger guy that they can work in next year, or whether they just pick up a, a veteran that might see him through for the next year or two. Um, moving over to the team that's top of the Pacific Division uh, and a team that certainly uh, deserves some love, and that's the Phoenix Suns, um, who uh, have been fairly successful here um, since the All-Star break. I think, obviously, the only loss there was that one to Indiana, which I think they'd like to have back, but they're in a really nice position right now and uh, and poised to even perhaps poach the one seed in the West off Utah if Utah starts slipping a little bit here. Um, after the All-Star break. What have you made of uh, what we've seen at the Phoenix Suns? And uh, what do you think of the Tory Craig trade today? Yeah, probably just um, before getting into the Suns in general, I think that picking up Tory Craig is a really shrewd uh, acquisition uh, by James Jones, who's made a lot of those um, really in his time, uh, you know, run, running the front office and getting this team looking like a, a team. Um you know, as someone who, um, there was, I remember there was a big sort of like social media, uh, I guess, trend amongst Milwaukee fans about sort of freeing Tory Craig about wh- why he wasn't playing. And um, although he's probably, you know, he's a three and D wing, 
who's probably yeah he, he is better on the defensive side of the ball than he is in terms of shooting the ball. He's been about thirty five or thirty six um, percent this season um, in his limited time with the Bucks. But no, it, it's kind of a position that you can never have. You can always use more players, more bodies to throw out there who can defend. And Craig's always been, I would say, solid to above average, not like elite defender, um, but certainly holds his own um, quite often getting the uh, number one defensive assignment during his time in Denver. So having a guy who can spell uh, Mikael Bridges um, as that sort of defensive wing uh, keeps... Yeah, it keeps Phoenix having that defensive presence on the wings, which I like. Um, and yeah, it, it, essentially, you're basically you know, trading uh, Damian Jones for Tory Craig, sort of how it almost worked out, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, I, th- I think that's, you know, when you look at it in isolation like that, I think it's a really good pickup for Phoenix. Yeah, um, I think uh, it, there's a couple of kind of wrinkles to that. Uh, one, the path through. The West might very well lead through uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and LeBron James, and having as many wing bodies and fouls that you can throw out those guys. Not that you want to be sending them to the line specifically, but just having bodies that you can use um, in a playoff series like that could be really essential. Um, and it means they might not have to rely on a guy like Abdul Nader in the playoffs. And while Nader's actually had a pretty good year for you know a lower end role player in Phoenix, probably not someone you really want to trust in the postseason. So I, I look at it as a as a no-risk move, if they pick him up and he can fit into the rotation nicely, then that's a that's a bonus. And if not, they really didn't lose out on on too much there. Um, there, we're obviously you know starting to see a little bit more of what the Phoenix rotation is going to look like. Everyone's been healthy recently. Saric, um, who uh, who has been kind of in and out to start the year, is now is now back. Cam Johnson, I think, is sitting out at the moment. Um, but we're starting to get a feel of kind of where they're going. I guess uh, when it gets to playoff time, who do you see out of uh, out of the Suns as kind of their playoff rotation? Where do you draw the line here? Uh, well, I, th- I think the starting fives, like I would say, pretty uh, you know pretty rock solid. Although I know we talked about it uh, previously that it, it is still weird to see like you know Frank Kaminsky probably playing as much as he does. Um, yep. But at the same time, I think um, you touched on it before. Um, but Darius Burch, as in, in terms of his contributions to this playoff rotation for Phoenix, is going to be a lot bigger I think, than a lot of people suspected. He's a guy that's flown under the radar um, a little bit. Kevin O'Connor um, mentioned him, I think, in one of his, uh, it might have been a power ranking piece last week or the week before about the Suns. And, you know, he's a guy who's been, been doing lots of little things right um, for the Suns team. He hasn't exactly, he's not, not setting the world on fire with his, you know, his box score numbers, but um, he's got the best net rating in the NBA for anyone who's played at least 15 games, um, which is kind of wild. And you're looking at, you know, his ability to be a solid defender um, in terms of being able to switch out um, on guards and handle himself um, against bigger guys. Not, not, no one too big. I'm not exactly expecting him to hit him, hit him, hit him. He's still pretty solid. He can score inside. He's tough. That is, you know, as hot during his time with it. But, yeah, and, and can handle the ball as well and do a little bit of playmaking. So I think he's been really good. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the end of bench guys, I think, yeah, you mentioned that Nader... 
has played well, but again, he's probably not someone you're expecting to, you know, play too much in the playoffs. I mean, you, you, you're set in the backcourt with um, with Paul and Booker. Bridges has obviously become a, such an important part of that starting five, as has Aiton. It is, I, I imagine crowd and crowd. The five of Paul, Booker, Bridges, Crowder, Aiton is probably what we're going to see a lot of um, sort of deep in the postseason. But yeah, you might see guys like Kaminsky out there, Cam Johnson to provide her a little bit more ability than Crowder does. But in terms of playoff experience, you're going to be wanting someone like Jay Crowder out there. And then as well, backup point guards don't play a hell of a lot in the playoffs. I mean, like you might be getting 10 to 12 minutes out of him at most at most, but campaign's been really good off the bench for them. Someone who, you know, is borderline out of the league and he's been quite solid on the bench. And then, yeah, you, you had a guy like um, Tory Craig in there. And I think you've, it's probably been the, the thing about them. Everyone's, you know, obviously talks about the backcourt fit uh, with Paul and Booker and how well Booker's played, how well Paul's played. Um, the emergence of Bacal Bridges as a three and D, you know, like rock solid stud. And, you know, the continuing growth of, you know, a, a top two pick in the draft in DeAndre Ayton. But Phoenix's depth has been really, really good. And this is a really well-constructed roster they've got. And they've got a little bit of everything that can disrupt, I think, a lot of teams. And they are going to be a team that no one wants to face in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I think you raised a couple of good points there. Um, you know, it, it's... You're right, campaign probably isn't going to play a hell of a lot in the playoff rotation, but everything we've seen from him since the bubble last year has suggested that, you know, if uh, if Monty Williams calls his number, he's certainly going to be willing to step up and make some shots. And, you know, he's looked good in all of the minutes I've seen. And I think Dario Saric just brings um, a certain amount of intangible basketball ability to that second unit when he does play. Um, you know, like you said, he, he's very versatile. You can actually run some offense through him. Um, he's one of those guys that just gets to his spots. Um, happy to post up a lot of smaller guys on the block if you can get them. Um, and it's funny, in retrospective, that trade got kind of blasted when it got made, when they traded out um, of the pick that ended up becoming um, Jarrett Culver uh, to trade back and get Cam Johnson and Darius Arich. And yet, I think if you were to rank those players and guys you want on your roster right now, you would probably take... Cam Johnson and Dario Sarge well over Jarrett Culver, so they probably got the two better players in that deal. Um, and Phoenix is showing a real, uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, front office competency um, over the last two years, and that's really starting to pay off. And it's certainly funny how a guy like Booker that people were saying needs to be, you know, freed from Phoenix um, only what feels like six months ago, it now feels ridiculous that, you know, we were ever at that point. Um, so I, I certainly do agree and that, you know, that depth is going to be handy now to finish off the regular season. Um, it might help them secure a higher seed. It might help them make sure that Chris Paul isn't playing too many minutes, mm. uh, leading into the, uh, leading into the postseason because he needs to be as fresh as he can be. Um, but yeah, I've certainly been really impressed with what I've, uh, what I've seen from Phoenix. One thing that I, I have actually noticed, it's a, a trend that I picked up from a couple of, um, other podcasts as I listened to. And then I went and had a look myself. Is that generally uh, DeAndre Ayton's not on the floor to close to close close games recently? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's been unfortunate, but teams seem to have realised that they can kind of pick on him a little bit. We saw Lamelo Ball do it. We saw James Harden do it. Um, and that's an interesting wrinkle just to keep an eye on moving forward because he is 
probably their third best player. I guess maybe you could say Mikael Bridges is in that conversation as well. Um, but if uh, if he can't be on the floor in close games, um, you know, particularly when teams go a bit smaller during the playoffs, that's certainly going to be a, a topic of conversation and a weak point for the for the Suns. Do you think that's uh, something they should let him work through in the regular season, or do you think they just go small from this point onwards down the stretch and through the playoffs? Postseason is going to be a little bit different, I think. Um, I think they need to keep persisting with him because you know he is your for one of you know he's a he's your franchise big man. So you kind of need to keep playing him to get him through it because I think while he is getting targeted with it, he's certainly made strides on that end. But it would probably may get to a stage in the postseason where it's just like, well, progress probably has isn't there right now for this postseason run, and we want to get as deep as we can. So whether that's, you know, they, they, they've got Tory Craig there, you know, whether you're, you're going ultra small and, you know, potentially closing with Paul, Booker, Craig, uh, Bridges and Crowder, like playing as like the smallest of small ball fives. Um, potentially that's something they go with. But then at the end of the day, I mean, you've also got to get through, you know, if, if you're making a deep run in the Western Conference, you're going to have to get through Gobert, um, Jokic, and Davis, um, assuming he's back and healthy and, you know, at a good level. So you're kind of going to need him out there. I mean, you're going you're gonna to come across teams who are going to play a little bit smaller. But, you know, those three teams have those players out to close. So Aiton is going to need to continue to work on that, but he's going to, he needs to continue to be a factor out there on the court because it's not like Phoenix are flush with big guys as well. It's not exactly a position they have a lot of guys running through. And I understand that's, you know, roster construction and, and system and, you know, how they're playing and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, deadline buyout wise, I mean, like Phoenix, I, I, I think they could probably do with another big guy, but he's probably not going to play really much at all, but at least to have someone out there. But at the same time, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the, the, the versatility they've got going small is probably going to hold them in good stead. But yeah, I mean, you've you got to get through some big guys in the West. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of prospect because I would hate to see them, you know, pick up a buyout guy, whether it's, uh, you know, through trading a second round pick or something like that, or whether it was just picking someone off off the, uh, off the buyout market. Uh, and I hate to see them do that and then move away from what's made their bench unit so successful, which is the Sarge at the five minutes. Um, so I'm all for them picking up another big guy. Um, if that's just the body to have some fouls to throw at some of these bigger guys in the playoffs, uh, someone that can, you know, give eight and a breather. Um, but if, uh, if that idea is to, you know, go trade for or pick up a buyout, uh, big man, uh, I would really hate to see it be something that affects the way they're running their rotation, you know, too much now. Um, yeah, the rookie they drafted this year, Jalen Smith's probably more of a four than a five, and he certainly doesn't have the strength to guard those guys that you were talking about. Um, so, yeah, if they're looking for some more meat in the post, uh, they probably would have to go have a look at uh, what's out there, what's available. There probably will be a few big guys that can stick their hands up and, and take six fouls um, going around. There always are. So it'll be interesting to see what they do moving up to the deadline. Obviously, they'll be mindful of not messing with the chemistry that's been fairly uh, successful. Now, we've just discussed the best team in the uh, Pacific Division, a team that's cruising, coasting, very happy with where they are. There is another team in the Pacific Division that just keeps, seems to keep sliding and sliding and sliding. Um, 
And whilst there might be two and four since the All Star break, it, it's certainly so. So two and two since the All Star break, it certainly feels <laughs> like the Sacramento Kings have to be very, very close to calling it quits on their playoff hopes this season. What have you made of what's going on over in Sacramento, and uh, how are we going to fix it, Nick? I'm not sure if we've got long enough in the podcast to to work out how to fix what's going on in Sac Town, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's just. Uh... It's, it's much of a muchness. I mean, there's signs of positivity and then there's things that go wrong for this team. And it's just like, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I, have the, I have the most amount of sympathy in the world for Sacramento Kings fans because it's just, just frustrating. Because, I mean, you've got some really positive things going on. I think, you know, De'Aaron Fox's play has been damn good this year. It's not getting talked about because, A, there's a shitload of good point guards in the NBA. Plus, his team's just not doing that fantastically. But he's a guy who's averaging almost 24 points and almost eight assists um, on the year. Three and a half rebounds. He's averaged, you know, in his last 10 games, he's averaged almost 28 points um, on, you know, pretty handy shooting splits. He's, you know, he's, he's never going to be the best shooter from outside, but he's, you know, he's starting to get a little bit better out from out there. And just, yeah, and particularly like some, you know, you look at how they're going. Is like they, they, They're a little bit better. But and in terms of at least like the margins that they're losing by, but you know they're still losing games. Like it's you know they they blew out Houston as they should have. Um, they almost uh, one one thing that's been really frustrating for watch this for um, for Sacramento fans probably this season has been a lot of games that they've had like a pretty good clutch on in terms of control and they've let it slip. Like we talk about the one against Charlotte that was an absolute car crash of a loss that I'll be like, he's like Walton's getting sacked tomorrow. Hasn't, but um, they almost dropped another game against Washington, um, you know, outside of, you know, the um, Fox with the eventual game winning shot, um, which is really good to see. Um, you know, they could, they could have dropped another one there and it's, it's really, really tricky because you're starting to get some positivity um, with Fox obviously playing well. Bagley started to go okay, and then he's broken his hand. And that's probably the season for him. He's probably going to be out like four to six weeks, and we've got a couple months left of the season. But could be out longer. You know, we saw how long it took um, for Steph to get back from his um, hand, similar hand injury, which is super frustrating. So, and particularly at such a tease, I think, because... Bagley started to look pretty okay. Um, you know, not exactly setting the world on fire, what he was doing, but he's starting to build a, a better rapport and chemistry with Fox. You know, you start looking at, you know, guys like Tyrese Halliburton, who's struggled a little bit on sort of coming back from his calf injury um, and trying to get back into, into, into things a little bit, but and also just hitting that rookie wall a little bit. But you're starting to see a nucleus to build around, which is really exciting. But then you're seeing part of that nucleus get injured and it's just for a guy who has got injured a little bit and you know in a, in a, a draft pick that is going to get heavily scrutinized for quite a while unless Bagley really starts playing well and I mean well it's yeah it, it's a tricky time for Sacramento so I think yeah their playoff whatever hope they had it sort of snagging a spot in that play-in tournament I think is gone they need to start having a look at okay who, how, how much of a seller are we going to be at this deadline? Because they've got a lot of guys that they can move around if they want to. Um, you know, you've got like pretty movable contracts. You know, you've got a guy like who's played well in like Rashawn Holmes. 
Harrison Barnes, fantastic, Harrison Barnes. fantastic season. Um, and also a guy like Nemanja Bielitsa as well. Another guy who can get moves. So, I don't know. Lou, how, 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 how much selling do you reckon is going to happen uh, with this Kings team? Um, well, uh, first things first, I think Luke Walton's uh, surprisingly safe uh, because it's been made kind of clear on the rumour mill that um, Vivek Ranadive does not want to pay another coach. Um, and so I don't think they want to walk away from Walton and the money they've committed to him. Um, although Alvin Gentry is sitting there warming the bench um, and his all offense, minimal defense style of coaching would probably suit the way the Kings have liked to play over the last couple of years. Um, I think, look, realistically, they should be sellers. I, I think at this point, um, you know, if you have re- if you can get reasonable offers for Heald or Barnes, I would go for it. I'd be happy to move off both of them, even Bagley. Although I don't think I think selling Bagley now would be selling low almost at this point. Um, I just think that Fox is Fox is under contract for another five years. Halliburton's definitely a stud, even if he's not a number one guy um, on a playoff team. And so I think you've got yourself some time there. Halliburton and Fox are both under different, you know, levels of team control for quite some time. Uh, I'd prefer they actually keep Holmes and probably pay him at least in the off season because he provides them with at least a little bit of defensive versatility and obviously gives uh, uh, Fox and Halliburton a good pick and roll partner there. Um, but you know, if they can move off Hield, if they can move off Barnes and get some assets in return or get some young guys they like the look of, um, I think it's a uh, it's time to do so um, and, you know, beg and pray that the lottery machine spits them out a chance um, to draft someone like Evan Mobley um, and they can, uh, you know, breathe life around uh, around another young core. I, I think the issue is trying to sell another, and I'd call it a mini rebuild because they've already got Fox and Halliburton, but trying to sell a mini rebuild to this fan base that's just gone through so much suffering already. It's a tough sell. Uh, they've made it abundantly clear they want to make the play in, but I just... I don't think it's worth forcing it, um, and I think it's a uh, time to have a bit of a fire sale in uh, in Sacramento. A hundred percent agree. I mean, I, I just don't see the point in like trying to work your ass off to get in potentially get into a play-in tournament, and it just are not potentially not go well because I'm not I'm not sure they're a team that would really if the teams were hovering in that bottom end of the Western Conference, like you know, I I don't see them beating a lot of those teams. So like, I just I know that sounds really like pessimistic, but I don't see the point. Uh, and yeah, they need to whatever level of aggressive selling they want to go, there needs to be some selling. They need to get some assets to start looking to, towards. Yeah, it, it is basically another mini rebuild, and I know that's a really frustrating word for Sacramento fans to hear. But I think they they kind of know that they're onto something with Fox, Halliburton, and Bagley. If they can start adding to that, getting some younger pieces, and really doing a rebuild properly, not just like half-assing it and then you know signing guys like uh, I don't know, like what terrible contracts that they've done. It's almost too many to name, like. The money that paid Rondo or like Trevor Ariza, uh, Dwayne Dedman, like these, like don't fucking spend the money, <laughs> like just stead them. Um, like uh, it's, it, it'd be so frustrating for Sacramento. I'm, I'm frustrated for them. I mean, like, god damn. I mean, just get concentrate on like sort of focus on the good young talent you've got in your roster. Get some more in. 
and just rebuild properly. I mean, like you can see OKC are doing, like you can see the, the start of in, um, well, it's, you know, like other younger teams, like, you know, New Orleans and stuff, getting those sort of guys from a base and then sprinkling in some veterans, not doing it the other way around. So, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I think uh, I think the other important thing for them is there's a bit of an inflection point here where moving off Hill would be advantageous now, as everyone always says when it comes to Buddy Hill. He's always older than you think. Um, he's probably not going to be the guy when Fox and Halliburton are in their primes um, and that contract still has some value. I'm getting on the phone to Daryl Murray and saying, you know, is there a chance we can do maxi and some salary Ooh, and yeah. um, get you guys another shooter or can we, can we have a look at Tyball and some salary or... You know, um, how does that look? I'm I'm getting on the phone to Danny Ainge. I'm saying we'll take Neesmith, we'll take Langford, we'll take the trade exception, we'll take a pick. You can have Harrison Barnes. You know, I, I'm I'm making these calls and I'm seeing what we can get now, whilst both of them are, still have some value around the league, um, and uh, and calling some of these uh, these teams that are desperate to keep contending, um, and seeing what I can what I can get out of it now try take a punt on a couple of high upside guys if they don't pay off then you rebuild through the draft if they do pay off then you do work your little mini rebuild around that keep all your picks going forward i think that's the way they've got to do it it's just even if they have a really strong end to the season we're talking scratching and clawing just into a playoff game and i don't think they're going to because i think the teams around them the teams above them like memphis like golden state like new orleans are just more competent uh, and more professional basketball teams um it's it's time to blow it up uh, even if even if it's only in a half sense. Um, and now's a good time to have a little bit of a mini tank to end the year. Um, you know, there's not that many teams tanking. Obviously, Houston, OKC, Detroit, um, and kind of to a lesser extent, maybe Cleveland. But there's not as many teams tanking as there was in the past. Um, and it might be the year for some lottery luck for the Kings. And then it's just up to their front office to do something they haven't always done and draft the right guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's that's half the battle for this for this Kings franchise is, you know, they've been in some pretty good spots to start doing an okay rebuild. And then they've, yeah, drafted some questionable guys. Um, but anyway, it's, um, it's a, you know, some new people in that front office. Hopefully they can make some better decisions. Obviously they have when, you know, Tyrese Halliburton fell mm-hmm. in their lap. Um, but yeah, they, they need, they need to, I, I don't want this Sacramento Kings team to be teased by the prospect of relative success for that franchise. And I understand that's a playoff appearance, but you shouldn't get suckered in to trying to fit into the playoffs, like falling in, like trying to run a marathon to get there. They need to look a little bit past that and say, okay, we're not trying to win to get into a playoffs series this season. We're trying to build something so we can be a powerhouse in the Western Conference, which is easier said than done. But like I said, they've got the building box there in this you know, tripod of young talent. Focus on that. Start getting more younger players in. Start flipping guys while you've got some bargaining power. They've got players that teams want. That's as you said, there's reality. As much as this team has not been fantastic, there are guys on that team who don't fit their timeline and are playing pretty okay. So they need to do something with it. Go hard. Sacramento fans need to be a little bit more patient, but I they genuinely think there's some light at the end of this tunnel that seems to have been going on for twenty years. 
Yeah, I think we're about to learn a lot around this deadline. What uh, Monty McNair, who, like you said, uh, he had a pretty good start to his uh, his kind of run there in Sacramento, making up for a lot of mistakes that um, Vlade Divac made. But what sort of GM he's going to be, and what sort of mandate he's under from ownership? Um, you know, whether whether that Halliburton pick uh, was a sign of you know some competency and the fact they didn't actually uh, overpay anyone outrageously this off season compared to some of those, you know, horrific signings we've discussed over the last couple of years. Um, could that be a sign of kind of some competency in that front office or was it as simple as, um, you know, they didn't overspend during a pandemic and, and Tyrese Halliburton was, uh, was, you know, sitting there at 12 and fell into their lap. But I think we're going to find out a lot more about, you know, Monty McNair and his staff and, and their, their level of competency as we kind of move through this, uh, move through this deadline. I've even seen some, Rumours potentially about maybe shipping off Whiteside. I mean, look, if I was a contender, I wouldn't be trading for Hassan Whiteside. But, you know, um, there might be a, a GM out there that thinks that that's the right idea. Um, you know, basically taking any second-round picks you can get for any fringe assets. I'd throw Nemanja Bielitsa in there as well. Um, and uh, and going again, you know, if they're a team that can get some cap space this offseason, um, there are not too many teams that will have cap space. So they could potentially try to lure a a couple of players there, although Sacramento do traditionally have to overpay to get free agents. Um, but yeah, I think we're about to learn a lot about Sacramento in this front office in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully if they do sell, they can sit down with, you know, Darren Fox. You probably don't need to have this chat with Tyrese Halliburton and say, you know, pardon the pun, but trust the process here. We're building towards something. You're better off in the long run letting us, you know, move off some of these guys now and we can give you a roster that can contend in three or four years time than pushing through with this team now and uh, trying to contend with, you know, Barnes and Hield in their early 30s in a couple of years' time as they kind of age out of their prime. So I'm hoping for their sake and for the fans in Sacramento that they can uh, make some good, you know, decisions around the uh, around the fringes here at the deadline. Don't, don't do anything too drastic and uh, see what will happen from there. But we'll certainly, uh, certainly keep a close eye on it. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's all we've got here today, Nick. Are there uh, are there any passing points? Is there any uh, trade hints you've uh, you've heard leading up to the uh, the deadline, or are we uh, are we going to wrap up for today? As long as the Warriors don't trade for Victor Oladipo and Jordan Poole can keep cashing in buckets, I'm a happy man. All right, excellent. Well, uh, we'll tune in this time next week when hopefully Nick Boylan will continue to be. A, a very happy man and Victor Oladipo can keep chucking up as many threes as he wants on the uh, crappy Rockets team. So I'll, uh, I'll see you this time next week, Nick, and we'll, uh, we'll chat. Thanks, Luke.